I'm JG Michael, and this is Parallax Views. Hello, this is Mike Swanson. In a few moments, you're going to listen to another segment of Parallax Views. But before you do that, let me tell you about my new book, Why the Vietnam War. It's a sequel to my previous book called The War State, which has lots of positive reviews and Amazon's been out for years. But this one is a more detailed case study of how American Empire National Security State operate using Vietnam. And I believe it shows also how things work today, how policy is actually made and why. So grab the book on Amazon.com, Why the Vietnam War. This edition of Parallax Views is brought to you by the $10 and above tier supporters of Parallax Views on Patreon. So, with that in mind, producers credit shoutouts to Gunner, Mark, Alexander, Catherine, Kilo, Emilia, Jeff, John, Bert, Brian, Elliot, Michael, Brace, Nick, Galen, Arlen, Bo, Gigadelic Media, Chance, Chase, Dan, David, The West Bank Robbery Podcast, Gary, Ishtofer, James, Martin, Matthew Ho, Brian, Nobody, Thomas, and Dano. And now on to the show. Hey there, Parallax Views listeners. Another emergency episode of Parallax Views about the events unfolding involving Israel and Gaza, Hamas, uh, Netanyahu, etc. I don't think anyone needs much of an introduction. We've seen the news. Professor Stephen Zunis joins us on this edition of the show to discuss a number of issues, including the history of how Hamas gained power in the first place in Gaza. So all that and much more in the conversation to follow. And with that being said, let's get right to it with Professor Steven Zunas, a multi-time guest on the show. Welcome back to Parallax Views, a guest that I've relied on a lot on this show, multi-time guest, very astute commentator on issues related to the Middle East and U.S. policy in the Middle East. He's a politics professor at the University of San Francisco. Welcome back to the show, Stephen Zunis. Great to be with you. So, Stephen, I wanted to have you back on the show uh, just to discuss all that has transpired in the past two days with regards to Hamas, the Israeli response, what's your general assessment? Uh, it's it's a huge tragedy. I mean, this is uh, very few people, myself included, um, ever imagined that Hamas could engage in an attack on this scale. Um, and I mean, it's, it was, it's been called Israel's nine eleven. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was it was it was massive, and what we're what we're finding out, actually, is that the Gaza Brigade of the Israeli Defense Forces, which should have been guarding the border, had been dispatched by um, Netanyahu into the West Bank, into the occupied territories there to uh, assist right-wing settlers. Indeed, there are 22 Israeli battalions, not in Israel protecting its citizens, 
but outside Israel in the occupied uh, Palestinian territories uh, to reinforce the occupation and colonization um, of, uh, of, of, that, of the Palestinian land. And so uh, the uh, success, if you would call it success, of the uh, Hamas operation in terms of the uh, uh, Israeli towns and kibbutzim and other areas that in some cases they are still controlling uh, to, uh, uh, as we speak, um, and the the, the 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 killings of hundreds upon hundreds of civilians. I mean, the death is death toll is well beyond you know anything Israel's experienced before, and they've had a, a tragically quite a quite a period, a, a, a quite a history of, of terrorism. I mean, it, it's it's, it's mind boggling, and it's it's per, it's it, what's uh, one of the tragic ironies is that um, among the uh, kibbutzim that. Uh, or occupied were left-wing uh, kibbutzim, where people, where the I know a number of people there. In fact, a dear friend of mine is missing, um, hopefully in hiding, but more likely uh, killed or kidnapped. And she was a very big anti-occupation activist. She'd have been engaged in in uh, in, in sit-ins and protests in, in the West Bank, and 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 she was. I just saw her a few months ago, and she warned me that you know if the, if the israeli government continued its provocative actions uh in the west bank um uh confiscating uh, land uh, killing palestinian civilians uh violating islamic holy places that kind of thing that some kind of explosion uh was very possible i don't think she imagined that she would be uh one of the victims i i was just going to add to that real quick uh you know it wasn't really that far back actually i believe it was in august 2023 so this past summer, that uh, Hamas spokesperson Salah Al-Arori was on Lebanese TV saying, you know, that Hamas wanted total war with Israel. So I, I'm, I think that people saying this was totally unexpected is, uh, I, I think, incorrect. Although I think the scale of it is what's shocking. Yes, yeah, the the the, the, the scale is unprecedented. And what's scary right now, of course, is that when we've seen a. How Israel's responded to you know hundreds of rockets, these homemade rockets fired into Israel, which uh, aren't aren't very powerful or well targeted, uh, but nevertheless you know would kill uh, 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 maybe a dozen Israelis. Um, that you know, Israel responded by uh, you know killing many hundreds of Palestinian civilians. I mean uh, you know the, the, the incredibly uh, one sided ratio in casualties that we might be seeing something on a similar scale, which would mean many thousands of dead Palestinians. And already we're seeing apartment blocks, entire apartment blocks, mosques, other targets in Hamas, uh, targets in Israel. They don't seem to have any Hamas presence or any kind of uh, military value that are being blown up right now. And uh, of course, the, what we're seeing is all too typical. The United States quite appropriately is condemning uh, the Hamas violence, uh, but is has been silent so far on uh, on Israeli attacks on civilians. I want to delve into that more, but maybe first, I mean, I know you mentioned these uh, left-wing kibbutzniks. Uh, you know, some of these people are, are dead already. Uh, I've seen reports of Israeli anti-apartheid activists reported dead. Um, could you speak a little bit to who these people are? Because I think some on the left have really gotten mm. this wrong, saying, oh, well, they're just settlers they deserve yeah. it, and, and like it's really disturbing to me. So, yeah. I mean, I mean, Israel, Israel has existed uh, as a, um, you know, a, a, as a nation you know, state for uh, you know seventy five years, and it, um, 
and it, they have a national identity. They have a culture. Now, one can certainly question Zionism uh, as a, a, a legitimate uh, a movement. Uh, one can certainly say it was, uh, you know, to whatever emancipatory national liberation aspects it had for the Jewish people, there's always a colonial settler aspect of it as well. Um, but, you know, most countries, uh, not the least of which our own, uh, was founded in, in, in similar, you know, kinds of kinds of, of fashion. And, you know, there are many of these Israeli peace activists. I mean, some of them still hold on to the possibility that maybe a more uh, progressive kind of Zionism can it coexist with Palestinian nationalism and a two-state solution. A lot of Israelis are giving up. They're calling themselves post-Zionist, you know, saying that uh, these contradictions in Zionism were there from the get-go. It's not going to be possible. We need to look in terms of a binational state or, or a way the land can be shared uh, in one state where both peoples have equal rights. But, um, so, you know, so whether they're anti-Zionist, not post-Zionist, uh, left Zionist, there are, you know, quite a few uh, Israelis who are appalled by the uh, Israeli government's uh, policies towards the Palestinians, even more Israelis, of course, appalled by the uh, government's authoritarian reach uh, and, and its judicial coup and everything and other things we have been uh here, you know, uh, hearing about in, in recent days, and and so I think it's important to you know recognize that again, whatever one's view about uh, um, um, Zionism may be, uh, that there is that it's not a monolith. That there is there are um, Israel has you know there are many uh, Israelis who are um, very much opposed to the treatment of the uh, of of the Palestinians. Yeah, and I just wanted to add to that. I've always told people that. Um... For me, I just oppose any kind of total war doctrine where people break down the distinctions between civilians and combatants. So, I mean, no, no fan of Hamas, what they did. And I'm very worried about what's going to happen with Gaza. Yeah, very, very much so. And and you know, already we're we're you know, it, it, the, the the underlying racism I think we're seeing, and and a lot of the mainstream media coverage and the um, um, you know, comments uh, by. Um, uh, by even even uh, relatively liberal democratic politicians uh, that uh, you know seem to ignore uh, the lives of Palestinian civilians. There's just read an article about uh, sending more arms to Israel to help them in an assault on Gaza. Now it's one thing to say, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll bring them some get the, this Iron Dome system, you know, for anti anti rocket defense, that kind of thing. But you know, talking about getting the weaponry to actually try to conquer uh, Gaza and, and essentially level it as as Israel threatening to do, and that's, I find that very very uh, disturbing. And uh, well, and just let me mention since I did bring up the Iron Dome, you know. The, the uh, Congress and, and success administrations have been going on and on and on about how great the Iron Dome is and, and uh, you know, spending billions of dollars to, to create this joint Israeli-American system. But from the get-go, uh, strategic analysts, myself included, have been pointing out the fact that it would be essentially useless against a swarm attack. You know, occasional rockets going over, yeah, they can intercept them. But the thousands of rockets that were uh, uh, launched almost simultaneously, not surprisingly, it wouldn't work. In fact, Israel and the United States have been trying to sell the technology to other countries, but they're not interested because they recognize that it's, it's really an overhyped, uh, overly expensive uh, kind of defense system. And so even though I don't, um, you know, oppose in principle, you know, providing you know, uh, countries with weaponry that's genuinely for self-defense against 
uh, attacks that can kill civilians. You know the um, the idea that that this this is a uh, uh, the, the, the 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 hyping of the Iron Dome. I mean, this really seems to be more like a, just yet another subsidy for the military industrial complex than anything that uh, actually protects Israel. Real quick, since you mentioned some of the responses in the U.S., one thing that I find, well, just in the West in general, one thing that I'm finding very disturbing right now uh, are these right-wing voices that I think, I would say they're spark, they're trying to spark mass hysteria. These so-called journalists, uh, I say that in air quotes, like Laura Loomer, uh, essentially saying that they they believe that in within six months, there will be a major terror attack in the U.S., that Hamas has infiltrated uh, the U.S. I feel like there's a lot of people on the right right now that are, you know, starting a mass panic or trying yeah, Hamas to. Is, Hamas has never, ever uh, launched any kind of terror attack outside of Israeli occupied territories. Uh, they're not that kind of group. You know, they are a, a nationalist group under a you know, pretty reactionary Islamist uh, ideology. Uh, but that's their focus. You know, they, they've never, ever, you know, uh, gone uh, after the United States or other other Western interest. The other line I want to uh, mention that uh, is probably in your list of questions anyway, but um, you know the, the supposed involvement of Iran. Um, some right-wing um, you know media sources like the Wall Street Journal are claiming that, uh, that a Hamas source told them that Iran was in on the planning of the attack. And it's possible that you know Hamas people might want to say that just to distract attention <laughs> from, uh, from 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 themselves. But uh, there's no evidence whatsoever. This is this is not the kind of thing that uh, uh, Iran has any more insight into how to do uh, than, than Hamas. Uh, Hamas had their own, um, you know, twisted reasons for wanting to go in and kill a you lot cut of out um, there for a, a second. civilians. Uh, and the underlying, you, you said Hamas I mean, just had their own twisted reasons for, for to to engage in the attack. They didn't need Iran to goad them on. This, this lack of agency. Which is something we've heard for years. I mean, back in the day, they said, "Oh, the Palestinians aren't really a people; they're just doing it for you know uh, the Arab uh, Arab governments so, or, or 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 whatever." And now they're saying, "Oh, the Palestinians—they're just doing it for Iran," as if denying agency, basically, to a people who have been living in an open-air prison uh, for all these years. You know, the, the, with the se- severe uh, um, conditions in the besieged uh, Gaza Strip, and. Um, yeah, you know, the the but the, the underlying thing is that Iran doesn't really support Hamas that much. They they have uh, proxy well, they had disagreements expression. in uh, Syria, I believe, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, well, well the, 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 oh, the, the Iran has these proxy uh, uh, militia in Iraq and in 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 uh, Syria. They've been very close to Hezbollah in Lebanon uh, from the get go. Uh, they've been supporting the Houthis in Yemen. Uh, but not Hamas. In fact, I mean, Hamas and Iran were on different sides during the Syrian civil war, uh, for example. Uh, Sunni is the, 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 the Hamas, a very strongly, rather chauvinistic Sunni uh, uh, organization, and uh, the the Iranians are very chauvinistic Shias. There's also just the, the um, and, you know, there's been some Iranian support for Islamic Jihad, which is a, uh, a another extremist group that's located in Gaza. They're kind of a rival of Hamas. Uh, Islamic Jihad has been participating in this assault, but this is primarily a Hamas thing. So this this idea of trying to bring in in Iran is basically being done by war hawks who want to um, undermine uh, restoring the nuclear agreement. They're trying to attack uh, Biden for this hostage deal. 
uh, where they're falsely claiming that uh, uh, you know the United States gave six billion dollars to Iran, which you know gave it Hamas to do this. No, the money hasn't even transferred yet, and it's not even going to Iran. It's going to a bank in Qatar, uh, which is only going to be used for humanitarian purposes within it. So this this narrative that Republicans are having is really really nuts. But it's also disturbing to see that some Democrats who are starting to buy into this myth that it's all about Iran. I mean, I, I go back to, to, to this is, this is uh, from some you know, years ago, even my union, the American Federation of Teachers, they pushed through a resolution uh, 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 supporting Israel's wars on Lebanon and, and Gaza and saying that they were, uh, you know, they were basically uh, doing this at the behest of Iran. Again, denying any agency to the people who are most uh, impacted, you know, by the uh, uh, Israeli government. Again, there's no; they, they had no evidence to support this. Indeed, not, uh, except for this Wall Street Journal article, and a few other people picked it up. There's been no evidence of this uh, of Iranian involvement there as, as well. So this is quite. What, what are we to make though of um, reports of Hamas officials saying that they had direct support? I mean, very yeah, ambiguous I'm, statements. <clears throat> I I I I want to see these more directly, but I think it's very possible that they they are doing this quite deliberately to uh, to get people distracted and focused on Iran instead of on them. <laughs> and you know they are um, um, and again there's no sign of any uh, Iranian weaponry, no sign of Iranian advisors. You know again this is different than Hezbollah or or, or some of these other groups. You know where you know the, the, uh, Iran is 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 very uh, very deeply involved. But uh, no, no, th th this is a uh, this is a real, uh, frankly, a distraction in my my view. I may be missing something, but uh, as far as I can tell, this is a uh, there's there's not there's there's little grounds to make make these these claims. I want to talk a little bit about history here because I know you've written about it. Uh, with regards to U.S. policy, particularly during the Bush administration, you've written that uh, you know the U.S. policy under the Bush administration is directly responsible for Hamas's seizing of power in the Gaza Strip. Could you speak to that a little bit and about how yeah, I'll important- go back a little, I'll go back even further, uh, actually. Um, you know, the Hamas was a, um, um, had a only minority of support among the Palestinians. You know, Palestinians uh, movement has historically been secular uh, nationalist and, and with some leftist elements as well. And these Islamists, you know, were not, you know, uh, taken very seriously. Ironically, uh, the Israelis uh, were, were encouraged the Islamists initially uh, because they thought they would be a good counter to the um, uh, more secular leftist uh, 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 PLO. Um, I remember being in Gaza way back in uh, 1981, and I heard a story about how the Islamists uh, had ended up um, sacking and burning a PLO-run uh, uh, health clinic because they're providing contraception to women and Israeli troops just standing by, even though the Israelis would immediately rearrest and beat up a kid writing anti-occupation graffiti on the wall, you know, and they would allow Hamas people to travel through Israel to the West Bank for various uh, rallies and things like that. Uh, so this, is, this is in the 80s. And when they started to become a bigger movement, Israel got more concerned but even before that, I should mention that um, that uh, during the start of the first intifada, they released Sheikh Yassin, the founder of Hamas, from prison, where he was, uh, you know, calling for the uh, destruction of Israel. He was passing out anti-Semitic leaflets like Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Well, he, they let, he let him run free for a full year 
before arresting him again. But during the same period, they had expelled Mubarak Awad, a Christian Palestinian pacifist who'd been calling for nonviolent resistance against the uh, the occupation. And it sort of underscored that the Israelis actually wanted this more kind of hardline element. Well, they did start getting a little big and the uh, you know, getting bigger, and the um, Israelis got a little concerned. And in uh, in uh, uh, the uh, um, January nineteen ninety three, they expelled scores of uh, Hamas members. Um, the, these are not militants; these are not armed people. These were doctors and teachers and others who worked for. Um, Hamas-sponsored organizations. Uh, they dumped them on the uh, Lebanese border in the mountains there. And uh, the United Nations Security Council weighed in and said, no, it's illegal for any occupying power to expel people, right? <laughs> and the Clinton administration blocked the UN from enforcing it and uh, basically um, claimed that uh, Israel allowing a, a couple of them back in therefore met the, uh, uh, the, the the requirements of the of the resolution. But this made these guys heroes and and their their, their support grew grew more, but at the time of the the Oslo Agreement was signed, um, Hamas's support was only about fifteen percent of the Palestinian population, and the and Fatah, the main nationalist group in the PLO that became the leadership of the Palestine Authority, they were very clear that um, you know that, that 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 they said you know we're giving up the armed struggle. Uh, and uh, we're recognizing Israel unilaterally, even though they're not recognizing us yes, yet, because we can work over time to, uh, in the next five years, to have a Palestinian state in the West Bank and Gaza alongside Israel. Yes, it's only 22% of historic Palestine, but realistically, this is the best we can get. Hamas said, you, you, you guys you, you guys are naive. You know, Israel's not going to do that. And you have the U.S. as the guarantor of this agreement. They're, they're not going to push Israel. And this is exactly what happened. That, uh, that there's no Palestinian state. Israel's the, the number of settlers in the occupied territories has tripled. They've been confiscating more and more lands. The uh, the the, the uh, Palestine Authority areas were only in, in the in, in these uh, urban uh, enclaves, and and, start, and they started to install a kind of apartheid kind of system. Can you explain well, for listeners that may be unfamiliar what what do we mean when we're talking about the settlers? Or we're talking about yeah, the these, West Bank. These are Israelis who are move, leave Israel, move from Israel into the occupied territories and build build towns and um, and, and other other uh, other settlements. Now, this is a direct violation of the um, you know uh, the the um, um, of international law, uh, the uh, Fourth Geneva Convention. Uh, forbids any country from transferring uh, their uh, civilians into uh, territory seized by military force. The United Nations Security Council has passed no more, no less than five resolutions specifically um, uh, uh, saying that this, you know, applies to the uh, Israeli-occupied territories. These settlements are illegal, uh, along with the landmark uh, decision of the International Court of Justice. Uh, and yet, the United States' position was, oh. Israel and, and the PLO, uh, Israel and the Palestine Authority need to negotiate to see what happens with the settlements. And the, and the Palestinians say, wait, wait a minute, it was already decided. The UN already said these are illegal. And, and, and the United States says, no, these resolutions aren't uh, relevant anymore. You two work it out among themselves. But, you know, when, when Iraq occupied Kuwait, we didn't say to the Iraq, uh, to the Kuwaitis, you just work it out with the Iraqis, right? <laughs> no, I mean, when it comes to, to international law and, and, and foreign belligerent occupation, you know, the onus is on the occupier. 
And this line of the U.S. about working among themselves ignores the gross asymmetry in power between the uh, is, uh, the, the Israeli occupiers and those under under occupation. Uh, and so the uh, and 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 what so so in the night in the into the nineties you saw the um, these settlements grow and grow. The idea of a viable Palestinian state becoming less and less, and Hamas's support grew, particularly when we found that the Palestine Authority, Fatah, Arafat, Abbas, those guys, you know, were, were uh, getting incredibly wealthy off of contributions, you know, from the European Union and others to try to get this little Palestinian statelet going. And uh, and, and again, the corruption was, was, was rampant and, and dissent uh, was being squashed. And, and Hamas, meanwhile, uh, through their healthcare clinics, uh, through their schools, through their mutual aid, through things like that, were actually providing the badly needed social services uh, for the Palestinians that the corrupt Palestine Authority uh, was not uh, um, was not able to do, and so they got more and more support. And so, when the Palestinians had uh, parliamentary elections in in two thousand two, Hamas ran for the first time. And and they 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 got forty four percent of the vote, uh, a, a, a sizable uh, number, um, because there are a lot of Palestinians figured, you know, yeah yeah well, you know that this will destroy the peace process, but it's already dead in the water anyway. So what do we have to lose? At least we might get some clean governance and and, and that sort of thing. Well, even though they only got forty four percent of the vote, because a lot of the Fatah and leftists and other candidates are running against each other, Hamas ended up getting the majority. In the parliament, and uh, the and uh, and they got to choose the prime minister. Now, the prime minister's role didn't even exist when when the Palestine Authority was formed, but the United States pushed them to create it as sort of an alternative to Arafat. But then they got this uh, Hamas guy there. Well, not all hope was lost because uh, the Palestinian system, kind of like the French system, you have a strong presidency along with a prime minister in parliament. So uh, what the French call cohabitation. And so it was hoped that things could move forward. But the Bush administration started pushing the, the Fatah, the, 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 the Palestine Authority people, to essentially stage a coup and get rid of the uh, of Hamas. Well, Hamas got wind of it, and uh, they started uh, trying to counter coup. And after this three-day civil war, uh, Hamas ended up controlling the, um, uh, the, the Gaza Strip and the Palestine Authority uh, controlling the, the uh, uh, most of the urban areas uh, within the um, within the West Bank, and so you know, so the, you know, the, the I, you could both say the, the 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 rise of Hamas was very much due to U.S. policy of failing to push Israel to follow through on the peace process. Uh, we could talk about the failure, uh, uh, talk about Israel initially encouraging Hamas and back in its uh, nascent days, but particularly the Bush administration uh, pushing uh, Fatah to stage this coup. Uh, which then backfired with the control of, of, of um, Gaza under Hamas. So really, we, would, we wouldn't we would be talking about this tragedy and the other tragic wars we've seen probably were it not for U.S. meddling. So you segued into a point I want to get to. I want to cite my sources here too, uh, just for the sake of my listeners. I have two articles currently pulled up, uh, both from Israeli publications. Uh, the first is the Times of Israel uh, for years, Netanyahu propped up Hamas. Now it's blown up in our face. Uh, that's by Tal Schneider, uh, October 8th, 2023. And then the second article I have pulled up is another concept implodes. Israel can't be managed by a criminal defendant. Uh, and it's interesting. 
uh, there's a quote in here uh, from Netanyahu. Uh, Anyone who wants to thwart the establishment of a Palestinian state has to support bolstering Hamas and transferring money to Hamas. He told a meeting of his Likud party's uh, Knesset members in 2019. This is part of our strategy to isolate the Palestinians in Gaza from the Palestinians in the West Bank. Uh, So does Netanyahu bear some responsibility for propping up Hamas? Oh yeah, 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 and 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 even without that, you know, just the fact that um, you know he's ruled out categorically the uh, possibility of a two-state solution. It leaves those who want one state, uh, particularly an Islamic state, you know, it, it only 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 strengthens them and and makes the uh, Palestine Authority and Fatah and the PLO essentially look like collaborators uh, with the uh, Israeli occupation. And of course, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, the fact that. Um, Netanyahu has been encouraging these the Jewish fundamentalists, these fanatics, to do these um, um, uh, provocative actions, you know, at the uh, um, holy sites and uh, holy Islamic sites in East Jerusalem and the like. You know, uh, it's it, it was really I mean, it's poking a bear with a stick. I mean, no no question about it. Uh, what what can we say about the coalition government uh, that Netanyahu has? Put together. I mean, you have some very extreme parties in that coalition government, led by uh, Bezalel Smotrich and Itamar Ben Giver, with uh, the Jewish Power Party and the Religious Zionism Party. Uh, can you speak to them and how they've maybe helped uh, fan the flames? I mean, I mean, they they are essentially the, the uh, Israeli equivalent of Hamas. <laughs> These are they they don't believe in democracy. Uh, they believe in the uh, literal interpretation of uh, religious law, um, and they, uh, they 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 take a, 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 a quasi-genocidal view uh, towards the uh, other inhabitants of the land. And um, you know the fact that I mean, just to, to, to divert just real briefly about U.S. policy, the United States has said if the Palestine Authority allowed even one Hamas member to be in the cabinet, or anybody who did not explicitly support Israel's right to exist, uh, support the UN resolutions 242 and 338, uh, and renounce the violence, you know, we would cut off all ties whatsoever with the Palestine Authority. And yet we have Israel, who in the top levels of government have people who also who reject Palestine's right to exist, who reject these UN Security Council resolutions, reject all the agreements, you know, et cetera, and support these armed militia, which have been killing Palestinian civilians, we will give them over, you know, $4 billion of unconditional military aid every year. And we're all talking about increasing that now, you know, and, and, and that, I mean, the, the underlying racism, you know, of U.S. policy to say we support a two-state solution and then say, um, uh, but, but we, we won't pressure Israel to compromise. We'll keep the aid unconditional. We'll veto any UN Security Council resolution to move things forward. And we we even oppose um, global civil society nonviolent action like boycotts, divestment, and sanctions. I mean, there, there's they're, they're essentially saying no Palestinian state. We are essentially the U.S. Is, Biden and the leaders of both political parties in, in Congress are basically, you know, supporting the Ben Gaviers and the other, you know, far right elements in crushing any possibility of uh, of a Palestinian statehood and encouraging the emergence of these extremist fanatics in uh, uh, in Hamas who who in turn massacre Israeli civilians.
I, I was just going to add to that real quick, just so people are aware. I mean, some of these extreme far right elements in Israel, I mean, they make life a living hell, not just for Palestinians, but also even like LGBTQ uh, Israelis. So they really are, you know, the most extreme sort of conservative end of Israeli society. Yes, yeah, very, very, very much so. And um, so, again, it's, it's ironic, you know, that you have, you know, so many, um, you know, uh, you know, liberal Democrats who, you know, think this uh, you know, government is great and support unconditional military aid and um, dismiss constituents, even the, uh, the, the increasing number of uh, Jewish Americans who are appalled at the um, uh, this unconditional uh, uh, support uh, for the, the for the, the, the right wing extremists that are now governing Israel. The tragedy, of course, is, is that the uh, uh, yet another tragedy of unfolding events uh, the past uh, a couple of days is that this only strengthens Netanyahu. Uh, you're not going to see uh, hundreds of thousands of demonstrators back on the streets of Tel Aviv anytime soon, like we've been seeing uh, every week, you know, for the past uh, several months. Uh, it's it's it, it's makes it very difficult for those of us who want to condition military aid to Israel uh, to to talk about that uh, right now. And 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 as we saw with Bush, you know, I mean, very very similar thing after 9/11. Instead of focusing on the uh, the uh, the gross negligence and intelligence failures by the Bush administration that made 9-11 uh, uh, happen, people rallied around. He had like 90% public support, the highest support of any president in U.S. history, uh, even though he was an incompetent right-wing uh, idiot, you know? And and I, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if Netanyahu uh, uh, gets a, a similar uh, benefits from a similar rally around the flag uh, effect. On that note, I have seen some Israeli publications like Haaretz uh, saying that, you know, this is a massive intelligence and operational failure on the part of Netanyahu. Could you speak to how is this a failure of uh, Israeli intelligence uh, and operations? Well, I mean, you know, the um, the uh, Israeli Mossad and other intelligence agencies, you know, have been, been vaunted, you know, for years uh, for uh, how uh, good and effective they were. I mean, sometimes that meant... Um, targeted killings and a lot of other, other things of questionable, uh, you know, uh, morality and legality. But, but, you know, there's generally consensus that they, they were, they were, they were very good. That's why one reason why the United States has such a close relationship with Israel, that the Mossad is actually better than the CIA and a lot of its, um, uh, in, intelligence operations in the, um, in the greater middle East. Um, and so it is rather shocking that they failed to pick, pick this up. Um, and there's going to be uh, you know, a lot of investigations about why why this happened. Now, I, I know a couple of Israelis are, who are who are going as far as thinking of some kind of conspiracy. You know that uh, uh, you know that, that kind of like are paralleling the 9/11 conspiracies that they they let this happen. You know to give the government uh, a, 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 to consolidate its hold on power and even do greater atrocities. You know I, I I'm skeptical of that myself. I, I was going to say a more simple sure. explanation, not to interrupt you. But a more simple explanation may just be that, you know, Netanyahu was focusing so much military forces on helping the settlers in the West Bank. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Exactly what I raised, raised a few minutes ago uh, in, in terms of the on the operational side. Um, that's certainly the case. And on the intelligence side, you know, frankly, I, I think we, we've seen this so many times before that e that 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 that, um, you know, major powers can get cocky and uh, and, and you know, think they know it all and think everything's cool. And that uh, if they start getting hints of 
of, of some problems down below as it works its way up the chain of command. You know, people uh, will, will will dismiss it or think it might look bad on them or or whatever. I mean, it's the same with the. I mean, I knew people in Iran in the late seventies who were who who really believed Iran was going to blow, uh, while the CIA. And the uh, U.S. Embassy in Tehran was, you know, talking about how popular the Shah was and how everything was cool, you know. And um, I don't think it was a conspiracy there. I think they, um, it's the arrogance of power. It's the arrogance that, that comes in, in the case of Israel, you know, from uh, you know thinking that you could uh, keep people oppressed uh, so thoroughly uh, with uh, you know uh, with brutality and military force that they weren't capable of striking back. And I, I was going to say. So you have this focus on the West Bank at the expense of there, there was no one at the Gaza border to to really capture this when it happened. Um, you really, know, I, I um, think that's important to note because, you know, Netanyahu and this far right coalition government essentially promised security. They're the party of security. And now they're left with one of the biggest security failures imaginable. Oh, yeah. No question about it. So. One thing I wanted to get into with uh, with you was uh, we're seeing a lot of things happen at once, and I don't know if they're connected, but I want to get your take on it because we have the Ukraine war happening. Uh, we just had the horrible incident with Nagorno-Karabakh, uh, Armenians expelled from that land uh, or fleeing. Uh, and then we also have uh, Turkey with the airstrikes in Syria. Is there a reason all of this chaos seems to be happening at once? No, I don't think they're 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 connected particularly, uh, but I, I do think that um, you know uh, it, it, the um, but I will use this as an opportunity to mention where I think where the international left's uh, failures have been and where we need to think more more clearly, and that is that um, I mean, and and I'd say the failure of of of, of the liberals as well in, in different ways. I mean. Both both the Russian occupation and the Israeli occupation are wrong, and that uh, the, the, the and, and I'm stunned at how you know people are unwilling to quite explicitly say that both have to end. Um, similarly, you you you, you some people you know try to uh, to rationalize for Israel's occupation and their brutal war on Gaza because of Hamas. And again, I, I put that parallel with those who try to rationalize Russia's invasion of Ukraine because of uh, abuses by the Azov Battalion <laughs> over the years. You know that um, that, that uh, we, we need to, um, and also I think we need to recognize that, that the um, uh, you know Hamas is a decidedly reactionary um, organization, and I think that. Um, you know they they are not a, 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 a what we we would see and have seen in the past as a legitimate national liberation struggles. And I think a lot of the national liberation struggles historically, and I'm old enough to have been an activist during the Cold War and that kind of thing. Some of them were you know more more authoritarian and militaristic that uh, to, to to my taste, but overall they were far more progressive alternative to um to to Western imperialism. <laughs> Um, so I, I supported those in Vietnam and Nicaragua and and Mozambique and others, you know, who who were in these uh, 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 Marxist-led uh, liberation struggles. Um, I don't make apologies you know, for those, even though I've you know, subsequently been critical of those governments and 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 on human rights and and things like that. Um, but nowadays, you know, the greatest the greatest challenges to Western imperialism are not progressive. 
They are reactionary. They are right-wing. They are quasi-fascist. And that includes the Salafist uh, Islamic groups uh, in, in the Middle East, Al-Qaeda uh, and, and ISIS, and some of their uh, local manifestations like, like Hamas. Uh, that's true, certainly true of Iran and the Islamic Republic, and it's certainly true of Russia and Putin and uh, some of his uh, allied um, allies in Eastern Eastern Europe, Orban and, and others. And I think the, the lesson for the left here is not that we oppose U.S. imperialism any less, certainly that we don't oppose uh, Israel as occupation any less. Uh, indeed, uh, it is it, it was it's the machinations of uh, Western imperialism and the Israeli occupation that, that gave give rise has given rise to these very reactionary currents. So we need to to point that out. But I think it's very important that we not uh, be apologists for them, <laughs> and uh, you know not uh, uh, simply engage in whataboutism, as tempting as that may be, you know, and acknowledge uh, that these are indeed evil violent uh, reactionary uh, forces um and but uh, the answer is not uh, more militarism and not more war it's to to uh, it, it, it is it, it, the answer is respecting international law and human rights across the board and i know human rights international law they are liberal concepts you know and uh, and myself and and you and i think many of your listeners might consider themselves left of liberal but um, you know, just as it's important to have the rule of law and civil liberties here in the United States uh, to allow progressives to be able to organize and, and, and try to make some kind of difference, uh, it's critical that in the international community that first-generation human rights are important as, as a vehicle to uh, work for second- and third-generation human rights, for social, economic, cultural, environmental justice, and that uh, something is basic as the uh, as 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 a fact that uh, you, know, um, you know countries just can't go off and invade the other like the United States did in Iraq, what Russia uh, you know it, it did in in, uh, in 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 Ukraine that countries cannot occupy and try to annex uh, these conquered uh, uh, countries. Russia can't do that. Israel can't do that. Morocco can't do that. That that uh, if we we can't even hold a very very basic framework of the post World War II international legal order, if we can't hold that together, it's going to be much harder to make the more radical changes uh, that uh, many of us would like to to, to see uh, in our country and in the world. If you could, I know you mentioned this issue of of getting accused of both sides of some. I've seen some people uh, say, "Oh, talking about things like." Huwara, or say the death of Shireen Abu Akla, uh, the the journalist, um, that these things are just both sizing things too now. And we're forgetting about, oh, what happened with Hamas and this attack. We can't be talking about Huwara. And to me, I'm like, you have to understand the history leading up to this. It didn't happen in a vacuum. Uh, Could you speak to some of the recent history with regards to Israel in the West Bank and other events? Okay, well, um, you know, Israel has been uh, uh, gradually colonizing the the West Bank, uh, uh, for um, almost since, since the um, initial conquests in uh, 1967, but it's uh, rapidly escalated under the current government. There used to be some restraints on uh, lands that Israel could take over. Um, you know, they had uh, some kind of quasi-legal uh, process. It wasn't legal in terms of international law, but 
at least you know it was in a certain framework of Israeli law as the um, Israeli Supreme Court would interpret it, and and sometimes the court would move in and and try to stop you know some of the uh, um, you know, uh, uh, more extremist uh, uh, settler activities. That's one reason that uh, Netanyahu wants to uh, basically uh, control the court so that uh, that these extremist settlers would be allowed to to uh, um, con- uh, to pretty much you know take over everything. They've been basically they, they've been uh, the Palestine Authority has been granted um, autonomy to run the urban areas in the West Bank, um, but uh, Israel controls most of the land. Uh, in fact, they are building settlements that, that essentially surround surround the, um, uh, the 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 Palestinian population centers, making any kind of contiguous Palestinian state impossible. And Ariel Sharon, um, the um, former Israeli prime minister and war criminal, whom even Nancy Pelosi referred to as a man of peace, uh, was quite open way back in the seventies at saying, "We're going to divide the West Bank like, up like Swiss cheese." So it will be impossible for the Palestinians to to have a viable state, and that's why many of us, who for you know for years have I mean for me for forty years, I really pushed the idea of a two state solution. You know, Palestinian state on the West Bank and Gaza Strip, shared co capital of Jerusalem, Israel within its uh, internationally recognized nineteen sixty seven borders. But. Um, uh, yeah, but really, at this this point, uh, the, this, the demographics of the West Bank alone, you know, it, it's just hard to imagine any kind of contigu- contiguous state, unless, of course, the settlers all moved back to Israel and then the, the settlements that became homes of returning Palestinian refugees. That'd be the obvious solution, but but it's hard to imagine Israel would agree to that. So it's become, and, and the U.S. has not called for that at all. And most U.S. has called for a freeze in settlements. Um, but they grow, grow more and more, and the U.S. calls for a freeze again. They grow more and more and more. I mean, the United States has not said you have to withdraw from these settlements. Right. And, and we should note that, you know, I mean, what has gone on in these settlements? Like I mentioned, Hawara. I mean, you you had an incident just shortly ago, uh, a few months ago, with Hawara just being burned down. You know, it, the village. So I mean, yeah, it's yeah, really yeah, violent yeah. stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They they are. Um... I mean, in many ways, the settler militia play a comparable role to the death squads in El Salvador and in other Latin American countries during the 1980s. You know, the um, uh, these are far right militia, uh, which are uh, supposedly, you know, not the government itself. Um, and the government can claim, oh, what can we do? You know, and but, uh, you know, they are working very closely you know, with the uh, Israeli armed forces. Uh, you know, there, there's there's essentially um no distinction. We know, and we know that the Israeli uh, f- uh, forces allowed these uh, uh, militia to go in Harara to s- set the town on fire and blocked emergency vehicles, fire trucks, and ambulances and others, you know, from uh, from coming in. I mean, there's no. Um, uh, it, it, it's it's uh, it's pretty clear what what's going on. This is a slow motion ethnic cleansing uh, that is happening. And you know the 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 problem, of course, so with the these these, these uh, horrific terrorist attacks by Hamas, is that it's making more and more difficult to talk about those things, because all the attention is on the Israeli Israeli civilians, and um and again and and even if you, no matter how far how many times you emphasize your your uh, 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 your um one's opposition. To this kind of terror attack and how it is totally unexcusable and and uh, illegal and, and and immoral and everything else, 
um, and counterproductive politically. <laughs> that uh, you know that that you're you're, you're going to be accused of somehow defending it or or, or rationalizing it. And you mentioned Nagorno Karabakh. I mean the the Armenian uh, government uh, in uh, seizing the enclave, you know, which was within um, the boundaries of Azerbaijan, and and uh, ethnically cleansing. Um, Azeris, you know, from that territory and from the strip of land in between that enclave and, and Armenia. I mean, that that was that was that was terrible. And the um, the and then the when the nationalist government was elected some years ago, they were consolidating that, which led to the uh, 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 the war two years ago, and now the more recent ethnic cleansing. Now, one can. The, the, the ethnic cleansing of the ethnic Armenians is again is not that does not excuse any of that. I mean, it is horrible, uh, a horrible thing. And we and a certain the international community is correct in condemning uh, the, the savage uh, repression, uh, this quasi genocidal campaign that the Azerbaijan government has done. But at the same time, it's also important to to notice this context and how the uh, Armenians seriously overreached <laughs> you know they probably could have gotten accommodation that and then they'd still be armenians would still be living in this in this territory where their their families have lived for many many generations were it not for that so again um putting things in context does not excuse uh the repression uh, but it's important to to do so to understand where it uh, uh, comes from uh, it helps us, you know, figure out, you know, how things might be resolved, and would help prevent things, these terrible tragedies, from happening again. Before we start closing out, uh, where do you think see things going from here? Because I feel like we're just spiraling into further and further escalation territory now, and I'm very mm -hmm. worried. I've, I heard about the bombing of the Rafa crossing. Uh, you know, so, it, I mean, I don't know how the Gazans are supposed to get out. Uh, what what are your biggest concerns right now? Well, the biggest concern in the short run, of course, is what uh, Israel is going to do to Gaza. I mean, already they're they're bombing civilian targets like crazy. And there's almost certainly going to be a, 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 an assault of, of some kind by um, by the Israeli armed forces. And they're going to go house to house uh, uh, searching for Hamas leaders and searching for the uh, uh, at least a hundred, probably more uh, Israeli hostages uh, that have been been taken there, and they're going to you know probably level things block by block, and uh, I mean this could be a humanitarian catastrophe of enormous proportions, and I think it's really important not uh, that our, our our primary role right now is not trying to uh, explain why the um, um, you know why some Palestinians were so you know frustrated that they would do these fanatical things and kill and kidnap uh, hundreds of uh, innocent Israeli civilians. Though that is important context, um, but to um, to to try to do what we can to prevent the uh, upcoming tragedy, uh, inevitable tragedy I see unfolding in Gaza, not be any worse than it might be, and that includes making it clear to the Biden administration and to people in Congress. That you know that uh, as evidence comes out, as it almost certainly will, of Israeli war crimes, that they speak out against it, and that they say, if you continue, we, we support your uh, right to self-defense, but if you are using U.S. weapons in the commission of war crimes, we're going to stop you know, giving you these weapons, and to be very, very clear about that, and to say to any politician, 
including Democratic politicians who are already saying we should send more and more arms to Israel, regardless of the uh, human rights abuses, to say, we're not going to support your re-election. You know, you you think that because we're so freaking scared of the Republicans and fascism and things like that, that we'll we'll, we'll support you anyway. Well, we're going to draw a line somewhere, and we're going to draw a line at you supporting war crimes. And to make that clear, now I'm not saying that, you know, if it's coming down to a very close election in a swing district or swing state or whatever, that one, I'm not advising that people shouldn't, you know, vote strategically for a, a Democratic candidate and that kind of thing. But I think we need to go be, be, you know, at least threaten that, you know, at least, you know, make it clear that this is totally unacceptable. Just as we said to Democrats who support the Vietnam War, just as we said to Democrats who supported Reagan's policy in Central America, just as we said to Democrats who supported the war in Iraq, that uh, this this kind of thing, uh, supporting these illegal uh, military actions um, is is not going to be tolerable. And and we have to say to um Progressive and peace groups do not endorse candidates who endorse war crimes. Um, I mean, even Peace Action, which is a wonderful peace organization, they're the, they're the direct descendant of the Committee for, for Sane and Nuclear Policy and the and Nuclear Freeze Movement. They brought in to do a lot of, of, of peace issues, and 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 they they have a pretty good line on on Israel Palestine and and other issues. But even they have endorsed. Uh, candidates who support unconditional military aid to Israel. We need, we need to, if you're, you're you're part of peace action or some other you know uh, uh, a progressive or liberal group that endorses candidates, we need to make uh, their position Israel Palestine as much of a criteria as their position on uh, military spending on uh, on 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 Iran, you know, on um, any any number of other uh, uh, human rights issues that are um, are um, at the fore right now. Why do you think uh, we're seeing the responses we're seeing from a number of Democrats? I know, uh, I think you've been critical of John Fetterman's response with the unprovoked comment. Um, Why are there these Democratic politicians, even some of whom I would say are pretty progressive? Why do you think there may be this? No, 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 no. I mean, I I, I take issue with the unprovoked comment, but really, I think it is quite natural and understandable to express one's horror and outrage of what's going on right now. You know, I'm actually... actually, um, um, I, I I I didn't criticize Federman actually. That might have been somebody else. But I did meant, I did I did do a t- uh, did a, a a tweet and a, a Facebook post uh, mentioning that the 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 Biden was correct to condemn the violence, but he's incorrect in saying it was unprovoked. So yeah, I think that that's uh, that's um, we certainly shouldn't give you know, people a hard time, uh, especially this, in the immediate immediate reaction. Is uh, I mean again the, the extent of the horror is two hundred sixty people at a rave, you know, uh, massacred. I mean. <laughs> I mean, yeah, is, I, I really don't think we can understand. Yeah, yeah. The, the we, 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 so, so I, 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 in many ways, I'm, I'm holding back for now <laughs> for going after these Democratic politicians. But again, given what's likely to transpire the next few weeks uh, in terms of Israeli atrocities in Gaza, if these same Democrats are continuing to give unconditional support of Israel, then I think we should pounce. Then I think we should give them a really hard time and make clear that it is just as unacceptable to defend the murder of Palestinian civilians as it would be to defend the murder of Israeli civilians and 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 and, and make and be very, very clear about that. So I know most of your audience and, and a lot of my audience is uh, left or even just liberal. Uh, I don't know if you would have anything to say to people that are, I, I would say, more conservative, because I do have the occasional listener that considers themselves yeah. a conservative. What would you say to them about 
uh, this conflict overall and maybe where they're being led astray? Well, I think the big thing and, and interesting, there's, there's, uh, there, there are conservatives who are critical of unconditional support of, of Israel. A lot of them are actually State Department veterans who, from a realpolitik perspective, saw how the um, unconditional support for Israel uh, has led to a large amount of anti-Americanism uh, in the Arab world. It's it, it's it, it's encouraged the, the the growth of those radical Islamist movements, and has really hurt our standing. I mean, it's really hard to say, "Hey, let's let's support Ukraine and its uh, uh, resistance to the uh, Russian occupation," when um, we're supporting the Israeli occupation. It's very hard to say. You know, we we should uh, we have to stop Iran from getting nuclear weapons when you know it, we, we're fine about Israel having nuclear weapons. It's 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 uh, difficult you know for us to um, you know really take almost uh, uh, any principled position uh, that might uh, gain us support in the Arab world as long as we reject these uh, and when it comes to to Israel. So you know there is a realpolitik uh, argument, uh, and uh, we have some very mainstream. Uh, 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 center-right political scientists uh, like uh, uh, John Mearsheimer and Steve Walt, who've been pushing this line. I disagree with them about their their line that it's all the Israel lobby that's making us do it. I <laughs> I, I think it's much more complex than that. But um, you know, their overall critique of, of how U.S. support for Israel has hurt America's standing in the world is one that I think a lot of uh, con- conservatives uh, can um, could appreciate. But I, I do think that the, the the bottom line though is that I I, I don't think anybody you know, um, left, uh, right, uh, center, far left or whatever, uh, you know, be, uh, can rationalize for the uh, killing of innocent civilians. And again, we must emphasize that that is, is, uh, we, that is not just true in terms of Hamas, but it's true for Israel as well. One last thing I wanted to ask you, uh, and this is kind of a field, but, you know, one talking point always here by uh, the right and, and very fervent Zionists is that uh, you know, uh, a peace has been offered and, and the Palestinian land has been offered to the Palestinians. And it's always the Palestinians or oftentimes they'll just say the Arabs that didn't take it. Uh, yeah. So really, you know, it's on the Arabs that this didn't happen. Yeah, no, How do you I mean, respond it, to that? I mean, I mean, in terms of at least uh, in the uh, you know past 30 years or so, uh, it's, it's clear to say that's really nonsense. I mean, uh, you know, the Palestine Authority, as I mentioned, recognizes Israel within its 1967 borders. That's 78 percent of Palestine. They gave up 78 percent of Palestine. All they're struggling for is the remaining 22 percent. But the United States and Israel says, no, that's not enough. And the the Camp David proposal that uh, Prime Minister Barack gave in 2000 would have granted the Palestinians maybe 80% of, 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 of the uh, the West Bank, but it would have been divided into four non-contiguous cantons where the Israelis would control not just movement into Israel, which of course is their right, but movement between these Palestinian state and, and neighboring Arab countries like Jordan and, and Egypt. It would even control Palestinian movement between the various Palestinian enclaves. Um, and 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 in addition, Israel would have uh, ex- exclusive uh, water rights and 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 control the airspace. I mean, that is not a viable state. That's much more like the Bantu stands, uh, the notorious Bantu stands of apartheid South Africa. So the so-called generous offer really wasn't that. I mean, it was, it was more generous than any uh, Israeli government has offered before or since, but it was far you know uh, less than what um, um, you know Israel's requirements under international law. Uh, now the Clinton proposal uh, in December 
um, was was better than than what was offered at Camp David that summer. Uh, the um, Palestinians uh, initially uh, uh, rejected it, uh, saying it's getting close, close. We need to have a few, few, few more issues. Eventually, uh, though, um, the Palestinian Authority accepted it. But by that time, Israel had a right wing government that rejected it. So, you know, and, and then it's, 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 it's ironic. I remember when Hillary Clinton was running for president, she said, oh, the Palestinians rejected my husband's uh, very generous proposal. I said, yes, well, they accept it now and Israel rejects it. Are you going to criticize Israel too? Oh, no, no. It's only only when the Palestinians reject something that it's 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 it's, it's rejection. Israel can reject things all they want because it's their right. And this is the... Um, so this is the non uh, nonsense that that we're 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 hearing right now that uh, Israel has never offered uh, allowed or offered to allow for the creation of a viable Palestinian state alongside Israel, and the other thing I should mention is that the uh, the um, every single Arab state is on record being willing to recognize Israel in return for an end of the occupation. What the Abraham Accords are, are about is trying to get Arab states to recognize Israel while they continue to consolidate their occupation. And, 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 and you know, and, and, and it's amazing. Like 90% of U.S. Middle East scholars have said that the Abraham Accords are not helpful. In, in fact, most of them say it's, 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 it's worse as the chance of peace. And yet in, in Capitol Hill, you have bipartisan praise for Jared Kushner <laughs> and the so-called Abraham Accords he put together. That basically, so far, it's been these two tiny reactionary autocratic Gulf shaitans, which have never been at war with Israel, um, you know, who in return for a lucrative arms deal, agreed to recognize them. And Morocco, which is 3,000 miles away from Israel, <laughs> um, and has quietly had good relations with Israel since the 1970s, uh, and we got to do that in return for U.S. recognizing their illegal annexation of Western Sahara. Western Sahara, for you for viewers, listeners who don't know, is a is a full is, is former Spanish colony that declared its independence in 1976. It's a full member state of the African Union. It's been recognized by over 80 countries. And most maps, you see it as a separate country or at least with hash marks or something showing it's occupied. But U.S. government maps, it's all Morocco because, you know, and, and, you know, for the United States to have the nerve to say to Russia, you know, you, you know, it, it, you can, cannot change international boundaries unilaterally. You cannot expand your borders by force, which, of course, is true. But then we're the only country in the world to recognize this formal annexation. Actually, now there are two because Israel just recently uh, recognized um, Morocco's annexation as well. So, you know, and, and, and this is supposed to be the way for peace. I mean, Congress passed a law creating a special office in the State Department whose sole purpose is to promote the Abraham Accords. And they've had these huge resolutions praising you know, the, the way to peace, and, and, and it's not. And some people are speculating, oh, this must be a thing by Iran, the, 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 the Hamas attacks must have been a thing by Iran to, to, to destroy the uh, um, Abraham Accords and the chance for peace. But look, the Abraham Accords were never going to lead to peace, even if Saudi Arabia joined in. Um, as, as there is some talk, um, it would not have led, led, led to peace. There's only going to be peace when the Palestinians have equal rights to Israelis, either as a, uh, a viable state alongside Israel or in a, a democratic binational state where both people have equal rights. Otherwise, there's not going to be peace. Yeah, I, I was just going to add to that. I mean, a lot of people have said these attacks are probably going to complicate 
any attempts to get Saudi Arabia and Israel to normalize relations further. So yeah, whether or not it happens, though, it really is not going to make a difference in terms of resolving the conflict. That's the bottom line. Last thing I promise to let you go after this, but uh, in terms of the international community, did the U.S. and the international community drop the ball on this issue? Uh, where is our culpability in all of this? And what do we need to do moving forward? Well, I mean, Biden has done very, very little uh, to move the peace process forward. He, um, um, uh, it's very clear that uh, uh, um, that Israel needs to make, make the most the next moves. He refused to, to push them on doing so, um, and uh, again, he's he's blocked. He opposed any efforts in Congress by liberal lawmakers to condition even a small amount of aid to to uh, 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 to, to Israel to move, moving forward in the peace peace process. He's threatened to veto any UN Security Council resolution that would pressure uh, Israel uh, to move. Um, he has uh, upheld. Uh, some of Trump's very controversial positions that were opposed you know, by 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 uh, State Department professionals and others, such as recognizing Israel's illegal annexation of the uh, Golan region of Syria, uh, move, uh, moving the uh, U.S. embassy from Tel Aviv, where all the other international embassies are, to Jerusalem, uh, you know, seemingly to support Israel's uh, con- uh, unilateral control over that multi-ethnic, multi-religious uh, uh, city. He's refused to reopen. The Palestinian consulate, uh, the, the U.S. consulate in East Jerusalem that serves Palestinians there, that's been open, you know, since long before Israel was even created. Um, you know, he, he's he's been, uh, and he's increased the military aid to Israel even even more than, than than Trump did. So, all all along, you know, Biden has been really uh, uh, horrific in this re- in, in in terms of, of of his policies, and it's been a real shame that he hasn't been getting. Uh, more criticism from his uh, fellow Democrats for, you know, taking a hard line, essentially Republican positions. And and what, I mean, what could be done going forward? Uh, at this I think we point? need we need to make we need to make this a, a popular issue, like the anti-apartheid movement in in South Africa, or like opposition to U.S. support and opposition to U.S. support of um of um of repressive governments in uh, in Latin America. Um, yeah, this is uh this is a uh, this is an issue that 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 we really need to get uh, uh, you know, peace groups, human rights groups, and others others involved in in a very direct way. I was just going to add to that. I think I've seen a lot of Israeli voices uh, argue that this is exposing the sort of far right in Israel as having an unsustainable position. That you can't really do these. Uh, basically, the Israeli occupation of Palestinian territories is completely unsustainable, and it's yeah, actually yeah, going I mean, to create yeah, blowback. That- I mean, that, that to me is a pretty obvious um, um, uh, uh, position, but uh, unfortunately, I don't think many, uh, at least initially, not many people are going to accept that. I mean, one would think that 9-11 would have been a wake-up call about U.S. support for Arab dictatorships and our, um, our, our, our bombing and sanctions against Iraq, support for the Israeli occupation, putting permanent military bases you know, all around the Middle East. I, you think you know people would say you know why uh, you know, maybe we, maybe we should uh, recognize the fact that um, the more we militarize the Middle East, the less secure we become. Maybe we should support uh, democracy instead of dictatorships and occupation. I mean that's why they're mad at us. Um, if they, it was matters hating hating freedom, they would have attacked Sweden or wherever. You know, um, 
But we didn't have that uh, assessment. In fact, it went the opposite direction. We ended up invading a, a, a Iraq. We we played right into Osama bin Laden's hands as his hope that we would overreact in such a way that would strengthen uh, Islamic extremism. That's exactly what happened. And so um, what you're saying is is very true that this uh, the Hamas attacks do show that the uh, occupation is unsustainable. But unfortunately, I, I fear that uh, what we've seen so far is that people are going to get the opposite reaction and use it to rationalize for further uh, repression and, and, and violence against the Palestinian people. I want to thank you again, Stephen Sunis, for coming on Parallax News, especially on short notice. How can my listeners keep up with your work? And also, you have a uh, revised edition of your Western Sahara book out, if you want to plug that real quick. Yeah, Western Sahara, a War, uh, Nationalism and Conflict Irresolution. It's the most comprehensive book in the English language on that conflict. Uh, uh, you can order it online. It's published by Syracuse uh, University Press, co-authored uh, with uh, um, Jacob Mundy. Um, it's an important conflict to know about. We don't hear about it much, but it is it is, is quite uh, uh, important and, and, and relevant on quite a, quite a few levels. My website's out of date. I haven't updated it for at least uh, a year, uh, but you can find some earlier articles of mine on stephenzunis.org, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-Z-U-N-E-S. Uh, the platforms I've been publishing most recently on have been Truthout and the Progressive Magazine, and so you can check out my articles there. And uh, quote it in common dreams occasionally as well, right? Yes. Yep. yep. Thank you again. Sure thing. Well, that does it for this edition of Parallax Views. I hope you found the conversation with Professor Stephen Zunis informative. As always, if you appreciate the work here I do at Parallax Views, please consider supporting me on Patreon at patreon.com slash parallaxviews. One more time, that's patreon.com slash parallaxviews. And with that being said, until next time, you've been listening to Parallax Views with Parallax Views to Parallax Views with The way out is not simply to say, don't do it. Just to prohibit. If nothing else, if we don't do it, others will be doing it like crazy. So, you know, we have to confront the problem. But no, basically, basically, I'm, I know of the great anxiety problems, new forms of control, but it's also new forms of freedom. This is why I always emphasize that uh, uh, internet and all this new digital stuff. It's a very ambiguous phenomenon, but it's the field of struggle. New forms of enslavement, but at the same time, new incredible forms of freedom. We have to accept the fight with no nostalgia for old, allegedly more authentic communities or whatever. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid.